You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, episode number 461, for November 3rd, 2013. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Treks in Sci-Fi, the show that celebrates the geekiness in all of us, and especially today, since I'm not alone. Nope, it's time once again for one of those great episodes where we talk about the completely made up and not even real at all starships and ships in space from different cool series that we love. And today happens to be Star Wars ships, but not just any Star Wars ships. And I'm going to let Jeff, my, one of my co-hosts now, talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about today, and then we'll introduce everybody that's here on our little panel of experts. Hey, it's uh, Jeff here, uh, Jedi Jeff on the uh, Trex and Sci-Fi forums. And uh, like Rick said, uh, we're here to talk about Star Wars ships. And today we are going to be talking about the ships of the Rebel Alliance from the uh, the original trilogy uh series of uh, movies so that's what we're going to be covering off today Way cool. uh, future podcast will come with with more ships excellent your date very good okay and then with us on the panel today is another one of our uh, favorites in the uh the, the guest hosts of treks and sci-fi none other you guys are wondering which one i'm going to introduce aren't you <laughs> none other than mr brian dunn hi brian Red 5, standing by. There you go. Try and increase the power, R2. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And then, of course, um, from Canada as well. See, we've got two Americans and two Canadians on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Billy Bob or Joe from the hello. forums. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, we're, we're even. We're even. Two Canadians, two Americans. So uh, it'll be a battle royale. And now okay. I just realized that all of us have podcasts except for... Brian. Me, Brian, you need a podcast. Oh, Lord. People need to listen to me all day like they need a hole in the head. <laughs> well, you could do one while you're cycling. I think that would be cool. You yeah, could hear so the wind. Sure, sure people love to hear the, the hear the little rants that go on in my head. Sure. Uh, no, I, I'm going to spare the world my thoughts. <laughs> because you're... My, my external thoughts are, are irritating enough. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I do, think it's so, I do love the fact that so many... 
of our friends um, that we've made over at the Trex and Sci-Fi Forum have gone off to to start doing podcasts. And I, I listened to all your shows, and I love it. It's so much fun uh, to see that happen. So it does it's just, feel like I just, a big I really family, enjoy doesn't participating it? Participating in these uh, yeah. whenever I can. So. I appreciate the invite. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started then. Um, before we do that, though, we just want to say thank you to Rico for letting us sit in the, uh, the driver's seat for this week. We do so appreciate the community at Trex and Sci-Fi, and we've been having fun in the, on the forums and, of course, on the Facebook page, which you should join up with us there because it's a lot of fun, and you just have to look for Trex in Sci-Fi. So, Rico, thank you for this opportunity. Okay, Jeff, why don't you start us out and let's start talking about ships as all of our friends love to talk about these geeky things. Okay, let's talk about ships. And uh, I think we're going to start off with, uh, I guess, the most recognizable Rebel Alliance uh, ship, uh, the X-Wing. I, I think that, that pretty well just starts it off, uh, starts the discussion since that's kind of the... That's the main ship of the Rebel Alliance. It's, I, it's I, probably I, the most iconic by, by yeah. far. Do you yeah. remember seeing it for the very first time and what thoughts went through your head? Well, the thing about the X-Wing is that it, and I'm, I'm be curious to see if Jeff, because Jeff, how old are you? I'm same age as you, Brian. Okay, 45. so right. All right, so then I remember when the initial promotional material for Star Wars started getting released and there was a, I remember the lunchbox especially had a image of a of the X-wing being chased by a Tie Fighter and the Tie Fighters firing at it, yeah. and it was it was just a stock footage of picture. It wasn't even a picture from the film. It was just a composite of an X-wing model with the Tie Fighter, but it was I, I I had that picture on my wall and I would just stare at it forever. I mean, after seeing the film and that was the only content you had. There was so little Star Wars content out there. It was just a couple of stills. And that one picture of the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter. And so for me, the X-Wing represented everything that was amazing about Star Wars. Yeah. How about you? Uh, 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 I was going to say Brian, but you just talked. Billy Bob. Right. Um, so I guess for me, you know, it's, it's interesting to say, I guess I'm the youngin on the uh, on the podcast. So I, I was actually born after uh, the original movie came out. No actually, way. I, think I was born after Empire Strikes Back came out. Now no. that Empire Strikes Back was 80. Don't even say that. Joe, Joe, you you can have you can have a prenatal 80, opinion. Yeah, yeah. We'll accept yeah. that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, this is the thing. So I don't <laughs> I don't honestly have have a, a first memory of ever seeing an, an X wing. It was just always kind of a part of my life because you know my my father was very much into sci fi. So Star Wars was. I when I was a kid, I, I know because I always get this story from my parents. When I used to get home from school every day, I would watch Star Wars. I'd put I'd put our tape into the Betamax and, <laughs> and I would watch it to the point where, where the tape turned red. You know how it kind yeah. of like degrades oh, yeah. when you watch it too much? <laughs> uh-huh. So being, uh, I guess, the, the retro game guy, uh, you know, I will probably be referencing the, the X-Wing video game from kind of the early 90s. Uh, and before that game, when I was kind of exposed to, to the individual ships and their stats and all that stuff, the X-Wing was really the only ship I knew anything about because it was so prominent and you know it was kind of like it was kind of along with with luke kind of at the end of the first movie it kind of became a character and his x-wing especially throughout you know the rest of them also was kind of a character and uh you know i just thought it was cool because it reminded me kind of of this world war ii fighter jet or you know not fighter jet but uh fighter like a mustang or a spitfire or something like that was kind of modeled after that yeah how about you jeff what was your first initial reaction when you saw it uh like say when um to be honest, uh, when I, I originally saw Star Wars, uh, I went with my uncle, and uh, 
I'd never heard it. I never heard it, heard of it before. I actually went and saw the movie. My uncle just said, "Oh, we're gonna go see this movie called Star Wars." It just came out, and I went, "Okay." And uh, and it was just like, like a lot of other people. It was just like I went into the theater having no idea what this movie is about, and I saw stuff I'd never thought I would ever see. I guess. <laughs> and uh, the X Wing was one of them. Like say, right, right at the end when they, um, you know, they went to attack the Death Star and. Uh, they rolled out all the ships and they're doing all the dog fighting. And it was just like, wow, that's, that's just a, like a real, real cool ship and like where they can take it and how they can fly it. And it was just like, I wish I could be, I wish I was Luke. I wish I was flying that, uh, flying that X-Wing and, and shooting at those TIE fighters. Uh, oh, yeah. I badly, badly wanted to be Luke. <laughs> well, I, what I thought was interesting about it as a, as a young kid watching this this thing on the screen for the first time first of all i was just amazed that they could make a movie that looked so cool because we yeah. didn't have that before i mean there there was a couple of i what was it uh, space odyssey had come out and uh I, i'm trying to think of another space movie that i'd seen but it didn't have anything like this where they combined a spaceship and like a airplane together mm-hmm. and then that whole idea of the cockpit and being in space and and then r2 uh, you know the little droids stuck in the back of them. That's pretty cool. That's a that's a great point, Rick. You know, it's it's true that for you and I and for Jeff, our science fiction um, life had been informed up to that point with really nothing more than two thousand and one Planet of the Apes. Right, Planet some of the, the Apes. Some of the, that, yeah. some of the more dystopian kind of mm-hmm. you know future films of the early seventies that came out. Logan's Run. Right. But as far as like uh, a design and a ship, this was like like a fighter ship that, and I think what Joe said was was very germane in that it's it's it reminds you. And I was I loved World War II fighter planes. I made those models all the time as a kid, and this was like one of those in space. And yeah. so it's a great point that that whole idea of this own your own personal fighter craft that you can use to fly out in space and get in dogfights with, and uh, it is very cool. And I had to say when when they're flying by flying off the oven base and when those wings opened up i lost my mind i know it was, it was like cool. it was just oh so cool. my god yeah. <laughs> yeah it was just such a great it was just a, such a great concept to have that do that and for anyone who who is into sort of the backstory on how the, some of these designs came about obviously the work of ralph mccrory you know he sort of visualized for george lucas what these were going to look like and if you look at the development and the design that Joe Johnson and Ralph McQuarrie did on the X-Wing, you could see how it developed into what the model makers at ILM eventually put together. And if you, if you buy the, um, um, the Making of Star Wars by J.J. By Rinsler, it's, there's some great information in there about how these models were put together, what, what model kit parts they were bashed off of. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it, it was just a great design and uh, some great talent coming together to, put it, to make it a reality. That's the other thing too, Brian, like, cause you mentioned like, you know, like how they built the model and how they bashed it off of, you know, other parts of the kits. That's the thing you look at it and it's a spaceship, but it's also got somewhat of a real world look to it Yeah, that you could almost imagine seeing something like that in your, your life nowadays. Like say, it's not like right out there going like, ah, this is nothing I could ever, ever imagine. It's actually something which is, it's got 
some elements to what you would see. it looks functional yeah. it yeah. looks yeah. like something it, right. it looks like something real world that would actually exist in our universe and uh, and it's just such a great design i mean the whole the look of it the the long nose the cockpit the 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 wings the four big engines powering this thing it's just mm-hmm. everything about it just screams hot rod and, and 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 i think that's a lot of of what this is is that george lucas being a big uh, motor motor enthusiast and auto enthusiast uh, you know that's what he wanted. He wanted a kind of ship that looked like it could just haul ass and kick butt. And wasn't it? Oh, right. Wasn't it had just how you kind of have that that extended nose in the front and kind of the the far slung back cockpit? And it does exactly that. Look like a you know like a, a Corvette Stingray. That it's you yeah. know it's really extended. Like there's a huge engine sitting there, even though the yeah. engines are at the back. But <laughs> right, it just looks very powerful, and it's a very timeless design. Like now looking back to you know something that was designed before 1977, it doesn't look like it was designed in the 70s. It doesn't look you know weirdly retro it just looks like again something that could roll off of some assembly line you know and, and you go yeah that's that's a thing and it, it makes sense i found it fascinating that it is so similar to uh the design of the viper in battlestar galactica because if you look at it that uh, yeah i mean I, half I mean, the ship is, is basically a viper yeah i i i you know they were both made by ilm so that's right you know can probably speak to that but yeah and i i think that aesthetically you know there was you know you in fact we talked about this rick when we did when i did the uh, bsg podcast right. with you guys right. about the vipers and about how ilm got in a big or lucas sued um glenn larson and, and them over Battlestar galactica because he felt it was such a ripoff but right. yeah that's <laughs> you can definitely see that yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, so I don't know if we want to get into any kind of like lore background about these ships, but the X-Wing actually does have a, an interesting uh, backstory. Do it, share. Man. Do it. Share. So basically, uh, I'm, I'm kind of the, uh, I have all these old West End games source books and stuff. I'm, I'm big. I know like Brian is absolutely, I'm sure, uh, is, is big into the EU. But uh, that's if you extended go back, universe for those of you in, that in don't universe, know. In universe, Joe, or I, I, I believe it is. Okay. I, it's been kind of reflected in, in a couple of different places. But uh, the Rebel Alliance actually, or the uh, the X wing was actually not originally designed for for the Rebel Alliance. Um, it was designed by uh, a company called Incom, kind of in in universe. And uh, so Incom was was working on this and. Uh, the uh, Imperial Security Bureau, which is kind of like the 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 Empire's uh, internal police, kind of like their political police, like they would have had in the Soviet Union, kind of during uh, during uh, the Cold War, they kind of suspected the uh, upper management of the company to have uh, rebel sympathies, which which they were correct about. So they seized uh, they seized the company, and they were going to kind of pull the the X wing in for use by the Empire, but uh, a rebel commando team actually. Uh, was able to liberate the uh, the execs and the senior design team from Incom, and they took the plans for the X-wing with them, and kind of handed those uh, designs over to the Rebel Alliance, and uh, that's how they kind of came into this. Because before they were running older fighters like that that we'll get to, but uh, so that's kind of how it came into into uh, their possession. That's really cool. I did not know that. That's very cool. Technically, yeah. uh, technically, Jeff, do you have the tech uh, specs on it? Yeah, technically, it's. Uh... Uh, based off uh, Wikipedia here, it's uh, 12.5 meters long. It's got a maximum acceleration of 3,700 Gs, uh, uh, 100 megalites uh, speed, I guess. Um, yeah, maxim- megalites are kind of their weird uh, fake uh, measurement of, of speed. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the X-Wings in-universe are capable of hyperdrive, and they have shields, right? Yes, right. correct. Okay. Yeah, that's what makes them kind of um, a bit superior towards a like a 
cheap TIE fighter, which which doesn't have those right. those uh, things, which we'll get in more details in the future podcast. It's got a maximum se- speed of uh, 1,050 kilometers an hour, so it's wow. uh, it's pretty fast. If, um, if you're going to buy one, uh, it costs 149,999 what? I guess credits, I guess. Credits? Republic credits? <laughs> <laughs> Mind tricks don't work on Anubian. <laughs> Though I'm guessing the Rebel Alliance had the used ones. I'm the guessing. ninety thousand ones. <laughs> yeah, the ninety thousand dollars. Oh, that's beaters. that's one. Yeah. That was Jeff. That was one thousand fifty kilometers in atmosphere. Oh, yeah. in uh, atmosphere. Okay. Right. Yeah. I was right. gonna say. I was like, well, that's not very fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, and ap- yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, you're correct there, Brian. Yeah, and I actually um, think those that that measurement of megalites that we were talking about uh, was. I, I'm pretty sure that was actually introduced in in the video game because they kind of had to come up with some kind of measurement of speed so that the ships could be comparatively faster and slower than each other. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like say, yeah, if you fly a, like a X-wing compared to like an A-wing, you know, like an A-wing's going to be a, a much faster ship, but uh, you know, and then a Y-wing's going to be slower, but uh yeah, like Joe says, you, they needed something to to, you know, distinguish the distinguish them uh each of them. That's very cool. Anything else we want to say about the model is the T65? That's what they uh, the T sixty five is the one that uh, that uh, there's a few different models of this, but this is the one which was uh, Luke used, and this was the one which was prominent in the um, Battle of Yavin and the Battle of Endor and okay. and things like that. So right. there's a few like it was based off the uh, the what is it the Z ninety five Headhunter. I believe right. Z ninety five head. Yeah, the Z yeah Z ninety five headhunter, and also the, the Canadian it, half of us says Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then also too, it also has some, uh, uh, as we saw in um, in the uh, prequels, the Arc one seventy. It has, Arc one seventy actually has some some kind of uh, uh, inspiration. It has some inspiration. Um, from the Arc 170, or or they designed the Arc 170 from the prequels to kind of look like kinda a bit of a precursor, because the Arc 170 in the prequels was that was the ship we saw at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, which also right. had kind of the S foils on it right. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess ah. one one other little technical thing that might be interesting, and I know they do mention this in the movie, is that uh, kind of the control layout of the X Wing was very similar to that of the T sixteen Skyhopper, which is kind of the little fun. Uh, Ah. ship that Luke had back on uh, back on Tatooine so that's why yeah, he didn't have to go whatever able to hop in right <laughs> exactly it's like hey Luke this is just like your little motorcycle that you have back home uh, just <laughs> hop right in and, and blow up the Death Star <laughs> that's right yeah if you're talking about the T-16 if you remember back in Star Wars when Luke is uh, cleaning up the droids yeah. and he was playing with that little uh, little oh, model yeah, ship yeah. that was one that's the T-16 oh, and you can you actually can I think see, see the yeah him. yeah it's, there was the a full size mock up of it behind him yeah that's yeah. cool. Before actually, leave, some actually... other interesting information uh, behind the scenes is they actually only built kind of one full-size version of this model for filming, and then they kind of uh, had some kind of cardboard cutouts and all that, and they did a bunch of uh, creative camera angles and editing to make make the hangar look like it had more X-Wings in it than they actually did. Wow. Yeah. Did they eventually, obviously, when, the, when it was such a success, they must have made more. No, um, based on everything I've read in the Rinsler books on the making of, they really only had 
they had one full size and they had one that was basically just the the cockpit area and the the engines and where the R2 unit would fit oh for filming close-ups of the cockpits and then and they could put different pilots in there to make it look like a different X-wing sure but um no they it, it, they can they, they got a lot of mileage out of out of just one and a half full size i mean that's an it's, that's an expensive proposition and they can match, never, they could matte paint it and you know figure out ways to cheat that you this know, is in, the first the time i've heard that i did not know that that's that's fascinating yeah. So, and I, I have to say, I, before we leave X Wings, um, I just have to give the X Wing all all of the love that I can because when I was a kid, I made this mo- I made that AMT model like seven, eight times. <laughs> I, had, I had the die cast. I I remember when when the one for the the Kenner one for the action figures came out, and I was so angry because it was clearly not the right scale. And it, my OCD ten-year-old head or nine-year-old head couldn't get around the fact that why are they making this so small? Because Luke, my Luke figure is so big, and I didn't even have a Luke figure that was in the X-wing pilot outfit. I was sticking Luke in his his Tatooine robes oh, no. into my X-wing and flying it around. That's funny. <laughs> At least you uh, had an X-wing, Brian. I didn't even have an X-wing. Luke drove around in a van for me. So <laughs> your, your, your A-team van or what? <laughs> <laughs> I was lousy with X-wings. I had so many of them, but yeah, I loved I loved the X-wing, and it was just such a it was a big big part of my sci-fi love as a child. So, oh, yeah. super yeah. iconic. And I know uh, I, I recently got got back into Lego a little bit, and there were there was I don't know if it's still available, but there was a, a Red Five Lego X-wing that's kind of of their very high end uh, entries. It's some, somewhere yeah. around yep. three hundred fifty four hundred dollars for the set. But uh, you know, it's one of those that takes quite quite a bit of time and, and effort to build, and it looks it looks really really good. And uh, if I ever get the opportunity to get my hands on it, I definitely will uh, will take it. Nice. Yeah, so- I have a actually. I had one. Uh, I bought a Lego one a few years ago, which I built not near that level, but actually came with little rubber bands on it, so you could uh, move the uh, wings. Uh, you know, can make them go X or or just move them back in, which is kind of kind of cool. Before nice. before anyone yells at us, yes, the S foils, the S foils, <laughs> the strike foils, if you will, is what those the with those movable wings are referred to. Oh my gosh, yes. you guys are so geeky! Oh yeah, I'm, it's on. Totally, it's on. It's a full nerd fest right now, baby. <laughs> oh, I, I pulled out about like six books to, 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 <laughs> to look great. through things for this stuff. I'm like, forget Wikipedia. I have these things on paper. I'm using these books. Oh, it's nice. so funny. <laughs> All right, so anything else about the X-Wing before we move on? Let's do it. I'm good. All right, okay. Let's go. What's our next one, Jeff? Do you want to work up the alphabet there, guys? Sure. Or backwards or what? I think backwards it's great. Um, well, maybe we'll work backwards because uh, we'll go to the Y-Wing, the next, because that's the next one that, uh, that we kind of saw when we saw Star Wars was um, they did this attack on the Death Star, and they attacked, they had two different types of ships. They had the, the X-Wing and they had the Y-Wing Starfighter, which is kind of the, kind of the, the bomber, the bomber type uh, ship for the, um, the Rebel Alliance. The old venerable and, Y-Wing. Yeah. Yes. I enjoyed seeing that too. I thought it was pretty cool again. Yeah, this was, you know, the Y-Wings as much, you know, I loved, loved the X-Wings and it seemed to me that, um, it seemed to me that, you know, Kenner and, and um, Mattel with the, the die cast came out with X-Wings 
but the Y-Wing was very – there was no model of the Y-Wing that was ever produced by AMT. And that was kind of the ship that I really grew to love, that I wanted to make one, but I never was able to get my hands on one. And what's really nice is that over the years, thanks to – Thanks to both the um, the visual dictionary, the visual guide that showed a Y-wing as a as more of a complete ship and and sort of like a off the factory kind of look, and then with the Clone Wars had a version of the Y-wing, like a a, a predecessor of the of the Y-wing we see in A New the, Hope, the fancy version, yeah, yeah, and it, it, and would, and would, and so all of a sudden the the Y-wing has become the more like informed ship that that I, that that we see in the Star Wars universe, and we can see a progression as it developed. And I think from a design standpoint, that thing is really really great. I think it's such a nice looking nice looking model, and and I've always been a big fan of that one. Yeah, I've been uh, I've kind of been a big fan of the Y-wing as well too. It's just ah, it looks good like a good solid ship. I like I like the idea that they have kind of that kind of enclosed cockpit at the at the front and then it's it's kind of a bit more barren in the back. It's you know, it's mm. not really covered up. It's well, yeah, kind of which, which I think in universe where the idea was that uh, that the the Rebel Alliance was so strapped for equipment and materiel that they would they would just strip the panels off of the Y-wing and fix it, and then don't bother putting them back on because it's operating in space. So who cares? Something you know, it doesn't make a difference. It's not armored or anything. Um, and I also believe that initially that the turret on top and the design of the cockpit that they probably did intend for it to be a two-person ship, not, including the astromech droid. I think they wanted the idea was maybe a, there'd be a gunner in the back who would be arm who would be manning. What what it, what it clearly appears to be a, a swiveling turret gun on the back to defend it if it's being attacked from behind, and that was sort of realized in the Clone Wars with the uh, the BTLB Y wing that they had in that. Right, and they actually did kind of retcon that into the fact that where, where they say they had two two variants of the Y wing. Even in the original series, there was the BTL S three, which is your your kind of more standard two man y wing so there's two crew members one droid the second guy's the gunner and he mans the uh the the ion cannon uh and it was kind oh, of designed is that, is that is that an ion cannon yeah that's an ion cannon so the, oh, the two in the front are lasers and then the two yes. on top are actually ion cannons for for explain uh, explain, explain what that is joe so everyone knows okay so the difference is and again i'm not sure if this was was brought into uh into being before x-wing the video game or not but in the video game at the very least and it seems to have gone forward through uh, through Star Wars lore since then, ion cannons are used to disrupt electrical systems. So they're used well, they, to disable it, it was ships. In Empire Strikes Back. They had right, the ion exactly. Cannon, right? Yes, the planetary ion cannon there, which kind of disabled the Star Destroyer. Right. Yep. So say, so same idea, but obviously on a much smaller scale. So what the Y wings were really good at doing, so they could be used either as bombers or if you wanted to go and capture a ship or disable a ship, you'd run in, take the shields down, flip to ion cannons, and disable its systems, and then it could be boarded by commandos or whatever. So that was really good. And then the the other one, so that was the BTL-S3 two-man version, and then there's one called the BTL-A4, or Long Probe Y-Wing, which was actually designed for long-range reconnaissance, and it only had one crew member and a droid. And the droid on that one, because I guess on the X-Wing and the Y-Wing, primarily the droid was there to kind of assist and you know manage uh, power systems and all that stuff but it also acted as uh, the navigation computer would store coordinates for the hyperdrive oh interesting yeah but in the long probe there was a droid but it also had a navigation computer because uh an r2 droid could only hold a limited number of jump coordinates it didn't have enough hard drive space let's say in uh, in its little head 
So the nav uh, computer. They should have got the 128 gig version. That's exactly. <laughs> like they, uh, they they skimped you'll, on R2's uh, solid state drive. Yeah. You'll never find that at the Apple Store. They'll be out of stock. It'll be all. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I want the gold R2 unit. <laughs> that's right. What are you trying to do? Rip me off? Oh, sorry. <laughs> this yeah. iPhone has a bad motivator. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere Tim and Dan just like perked up. <laughs> what? what? What are they talking about? They, they should have yeah, Android. So the nav- they went out, but- yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so the nav computer was actually good for unlimited uh, hyperspace calculations. So that's why this one was good for kind of going far away, seeking things out, you know, not just kind of doing these hit and fade attacks. Like we'll show up, we'll blow a thing up, and we'll get out of here. Right. Good, good stuff. Yeah. Excellent. What's the, what are the specs on this one, Jeff? The specs are, it's a... The length of this one is uh, 16 meters. Um, maximum acceleration is uh, 2,700 Gs. Uh, Megalite, as we were talking before, is 70. So it's a slower ship than the uh, than the than X-wing. The, uh, the X-wing because this is more of a you know bomber type kind yeah, of. It's like uh, kind of like a flying tank. Yeah, a flying tank. And then its uh, maximum um, speed in the atmosphere, we'll get that correct, is actually a thousand kilometers an hour. So it's only slightly slower than an X-wing and in uh in the atmosphere and then uh, it's got um two engine two jet engines i guess uh hyperdrive rating of class one uh which again isn't i, I think is, is a bit slower than the uh, the x-wing possibly there um if you want to buy and, one new it costs you 134,999 credits credits <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unless you bought the used one which is only uh, steel at 65,000 <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect again. Like I suspect those uh, those prices are probably from the West End Games role playing game because I figure you know as a character in that game you could probably find buy, a Y wing, right. a used Y wing for sale and buy it. That's pretty cool. That is cool. I never thought about how much they cost ever. Yeah, no, me neither. No, we just care about how much the uh, Luke's Landspeeder cost. That's right. <laughs> yeah, since since that XP thirty eight came out, he got screwed. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. That's right. I guess another uh, behind-the-scenes uh, thing, actually, I was reading in uh, one of my Star Wars Insider magazines last night that um, actually they never actually had a fully-sized, um, full-sized model. They only had kind of half that model where they had kind of the, the front end of the ship and then one uh, one uh, one engine. Yeah, it was basically the front of the, it was front of the cockpit, and then they had the, the back a part of the neck and part of the one of the nacelles that I'll yeah. call it a nacelle the engine cap front part but that was it yeah the rest the rest was it was a matte painting or something else yeah. and speaking speaking of paintings I just wanted to give a little shout out to uh, Ralph McQuarrie who did a and some really beautiful drawings and paintings of Y wings and if you go back and look at some of this older stuff and I really encourage people to do so you can see that the Gunner turret in the back is actually looks like a like a B seventeen bomber top turret where a guy mm-hmm. is in a glass dome with a machine gun. I mean, it's re- and it's really really cool. You got it's great to go back and look at some of this. So where do you find that kind stuff. of stuff if you want to see something like that? The you go if you buy the um, the little art of art of Star Wars or art of Empire Strikes Back okay. portfolio book all books right. or the little portfolios. That's all Ralph's paintings. You can buy the out the the art of Ralph McQuarrie or just do a search for Ralph McQuarrie Star Wars, and it will, all this stuff comes up. And it's really it's amazing to see these ships as they were envisioned by him after hearing from directly from George what he was thinking about. And when the thing with the Y wing, getting back to what Joe had said earlier regarding the X wings and their 
similarities to World War II planes. This looks just like uh, a you know a Douglas Dauntless or an Avenger dive mm-hmm. bomber used in World War II, where you had a pilot and you had a rear gunner who was shooting who was shooting at planes that were trying to shoot at them. So it's uh, you can really get an appreciation for how this stuff all came about. Very and cool. I actually remember seeing a video kind of maybe last year or something with uh, Adam Savage from the Mythbusters. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was on Tested. And uh, he was actually, he had this little model of a Y-Wing that he had made. And I can't remember if it was way uh, years ago. And uh, I think it must have been Hasbro, but I might be wrong about that, who kind of commissioned him and said, we want you to make a very, very faithful rendition of the Y-Wing that we want to make into a toy. So he kind of had this little model that he had made up and he used, I think he, the joke that he was telling was he, he had used uh, for the engine to sell co- caps, he used the covers from, uh, from Nair bottles. Well, the, the actual model makers, when they mm-hmm. made this studio scale models of the Y-Wings for the 1977 release of A New Hope, those are legs, pantyhose, tops. Right. Oh, yes. So, <laughs> I, so I, it might even have been that. I might have gotten it wrong. But yeah, he was, he was talking about all that stuff. And he had yep. all kinds of ILMs or Lucasfilm sent him all kinds of reference photos. And he said he had the greatest time rebuilding this model from all this reference material and it looked really really good it'd be an interesting i have to find it again i'm pretty sure it's on tested oh there there are if you go over to the replica prop forum it's just something that i know rico and i have talked about in the past that we're both members of and that's actually how he and i met um there are guys that have gone back and researched and kit bashed studio scale y-wings um based on all of the individual model parts that went into making those ships or and or found pieces or whatever it was and have made studio scale replicas that are just unbelievable i mean that and the master replicas when they came out with that y-wing model that they did the studio scale size they 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 actually had access to the lucas archives and they actually went and looked at an actual y-wing model that still exists in the archives and and builds it off of that but there's a tremendous amount of found items in those in in the y-wing model especially mm-hmm Excellent. Anything else about the Y wings? I think I'm sure. We, I'm sure we. Yeah. I'm sure we can keep going for another hour just on the Y wings. <laughs> yeah. so right. We should probably move on. What's our next one, Jeff? The next one, I think, is uh, we'll we'll kind of uh, pick the one which was kind of uh, a replacement for the Y wing, which we actually never got to see a lot of, which was the B wing, which was uh, which was used in uh, Return of the Jedi and the the Battle of Endor. And um, the reason why it's called the B-Wing is it doesn't really look like a B, but they call it, the wings are kind of referred to as a blade. So that's why they call it the, the B-Wing. I always oh, I didn't know thought that. they were lopsided. I didn't know that either. That's great. This is one of my favorite ships, frankly. I just I love the way the B-Wing looks. It, it looks strong. It looks like it looks like it's something to be feared. You know, it's, yes. so funny. It's, it's so funny you say that, Joe, because it's probably one of my least favorite. And I've. At the time, I've grown to I really appreciate it, especially as a, as a static model that I've made. But there was something that was so ungainly about it because of the way the whole ship can rotate around the cockpit, and that mm-hmm. how it's all how it's sort of it's it's um, it's not um, oh my god it's not symmetrical it's it's not it's asymmetrical because the cockpit's over here on the other on the far one side the gun you know the wing and the gun stick out on the other side the two wing the whole thing about it always bugged me because it was because it was so asymmetrical right yeah, i and think then I, you kind I, of stick the uh, engines kind of in a odd spot kind of as yeah. well on the ship so yeah it's kind of it. like when you look at all the other ships that they have in the rebel alliance this one is is different and also too it um 
like say uh, per universe in universe it was designed by Admiral Akbar or he had a hand in designing it per right. in universe yep. so uh, that might be where it kind of comes from um, some of its uh, more um, quirkiness. unusual quirkiness comes from Did right you, I mean if you want to go further in in universe it's, I guess at the time that this project was going on it was called Project Shantypole that was the uh, the name of kind of the code name for the B wing and Akbar was a commander at the time. And he engaged uh, the the Verpine, which are kind of this insectoid race who live in. Uh, I find this funny because I speak French. The Roche asteroid belt, because because Roche is the way you say rock in French. Huh. Sorry. <laughs> and yeah, so uh, so not only was it designed by Akbar, you know, Mon Calamari kind of aquatic race, but it was built by an insectoid race. So it was totally designed and built by aliens. So which is maybe why it, it has this like kind of un ungainly to us kind of look. Do you remember the next generation episode when the Borg had their that one ship of theirs that wasn't d- didn't look like a Borg ship? Yeah, Sense, is that um, the one? Yeah, yeah. It, it was right. similar well, we, in shape to this. I mean, it had the right. wood thing that hung off the out on the one side. Uh-huh. Ben, I think yep. it's interesting because we do tend, I think, as 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 humans, we kind of have this this aesthetic where we like symmetry, and when something's not really symmetrical, we find it. Maybe not ugly, but we find it off jarring. Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't work for us. My well, my my O C D hand is raised. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's fishy, so yeah. Oh, oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But but you're right. And it, it it it's actually a really interesting and, and unique design. And I'm and I'm actually reading right now the making of Return of the Jedi, the Rensler book that just came out. And mm-hmm. I have both the physical copy as well as the digital copy because the additional content the digital copy has. And, and there, I'm seeing photographs of guys at ILM building B-Wing models. And it's just cool. I just like, uh, it's so neat to see them actually crafting these ships and trying to do something unique and different. So again, my, my, my love for these is, it definitely grows uh, all the time. So I think it's, it, it is neat to sign. The interesting thing about the B-Wing, too, is um, they actually took some elements from um, when they designed the Millennium Falcon, um, they, they had some other ideas in mind before they, uh, they, uh, they fell on the Millennium Falcon. But one of these ideas was kind of this swiveling kind of cockpit. And they took that and they've kind of incorporated that into, um, in, into this B-Wing where, like say, you know, like or it kind of always kind of spins around and uh, like say the wings and, you know, it, it's kind of odd and that's what they kind of want from the Millennium Falcon um, I guess as well too um, you know because we'll talk about the Falcon a little later but um, with the uh, with that it almost too kind of this this idea kind of reminds me and this is getting kind of into the EU a bit uh, um, from the um, Shadows of the Empire when they uh, built um, Dash Render's Outrider this Mm -hmm. kind of got the same kind of feel to it whereas Dash Render's Outrider also kind of spun into different different spots and the cockpit could kind of spin around and and the b-wing you know they it's got that that kind of that element and it was interesting to see how they had a thought for the millennium falcon uh and they didn't utilize it but they went and they used it in this b-wing later because they they, they like that idea and it's funny because when you think about the kind of the the, the rotating ship it's a, it like from a practical perspective this seems like a very useless feature but they kind of they, they, they finesse it so it, it seems like this really great thing. They say, oh, well, you know, it makes the cockpit very stable and it gives the pilot a very stable platform from which to launch weapons and all this stuff. But really, I mean, it's just kind of a gee whiz feature yeah. that, that, if yeah. anything, is just really overcomplicating it. Well, they put into the orientation uh, space probably doesn't yeah. matter that much. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. They said that uh, also, too, that's uh, 
apparently it doesn't get used very much because it's apparently a very complicated ship um, for uh, pilots to... Uh, Expensive, to, too. And they use that because they have to kind of explain away a bit. Um, because actually in Return of the Jedi, they don't use a lot of shots with the B-wing in it because apparently, um, you know, because the wings are so thin that they had a tough time uh, picking it off off the uh, blue screen. So they oh, actually right. didn't use it a lot. So then they kind of explained that, oh, there wasn't as many B-wings in the Battle of Endor as there should have been because it's such a, such a challenging ship to, uh, to pilot that they didn't have enough pilots that could, could fly it. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Some tech specs on it are it's uh, 16.9 meters uh, long, uh, 2.9 meters uh, in width, and a depth of uh, 2.5 meters and uh, 7.3 meters with the S-foils in attack position. Um, maximum acceleration was uh, 239 Gs. Uh, megalite speed was uh, 91 91 megalites, and uh, it has uh, a 950 uh, kilometer uh, um, hour speed in atmosphere, and uh, that that's a bit of the. Um, it's got a hyperdrive rating of class two, so it only so sets you back 220,000 credit. <laughs> yes. Ooh, that's, a cool. That's a pricey a cool. one. That is cool. Well, it's the biggest. It's definitely the biggest single man fighter that the alliance. Fields. I mean, this is—it's mm-hmm, yeah. a big ship, and when you when you look at the size of the pilot and cockpit relative to the rest of the ship, it's much bigger than an X-wing or a Y-wing. Yes, right. and unlike the other fighters we've looked at, uh, no droid. Oh, good point. Yeah, I didn't right. see. Yeah. I didn't see any place for the droid. Yeah, just yeah, one pilot, no droid. Yep. Well, you think of a big ship like that probably has onboard computers that can sort of maybe take the responsibilities that Astromech does in a smaller ship. Sure. Mm-hmm. But the next ship that we're going to talk about actually doesn't have a droid either. I didn't think that, about that. That is correct. Oh, interesting. <laughs> All right. What's our next one? It is the A-Wing, which is, uh, I think uh, everyone can get a visual picture of this. It's just basically, they call it an A-Wing because uh, maybe uh, there might be a few reasons, but uh, one of the easiest reasons is it looked a bit like a capital A. So yeah, if you uh, kind of helps. look at it from the top down. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's kind of the uh, it was the response of the um, the uh, the Rebel Alliance needed a, a fast ship to kind of match uh, some of the um, Tie fighters like the Tie interceptor. Uh, they needed something which was which was uh, could match that uh, for dogfighting because it's more of a it's like this one's got shields and it's got uh, uh, hyper um, it's got um, it it can do light speed and all that kind of stuff, but. Uh, it is um, like say it's more meant more for uh, for kind of dogfighting and all that, so not much for a kind of real heavy armaments or anything on it. It's a big engine with a pilot strapped to it. Yeah, <laughs> right. and basically, exactly. if you do if you do look at it from the top down, where you see kind of its A form, basically half the length of the ship is is two engines. Engines, it's motor, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's meant to. Uh, it is meant to, uh, like, say, it is a fast ship, and they use a bit for recon- reconnaissance to, you know, to they use it to, uh, you know, do some recon on the Imperials or Imperials or things like that. Um, uh, there's a little bit of uh, controversy apparently on this uh, when it comes to technical specifications because it's listed as 9.6 meters, but uh, some people say that it's actually half that size. Yeah, so. it's it's, t- it's tiny. I mean, if you look yeah. at the if you look at the the model, if you look at the model that ILM made with the pilot in the cockpit, and then extrapolate from that, if he was a six foot six foot tall man lying on his back, it's it's at maybe at best four or five of that long. I mean, it's not is definitely not a long ship at all. It's tiny. 
Yeah. So like I think the 9.6 meters that they say, uh, I would, I tend to agree with the people who challenge that, that it's, it's much smaller than that. Cause yeah, I just, I'm just looking at the picture here and yeah, like say really, uh, it's, yeah, you, you, you line that up against like that, that B wing we just talked about. And it's just, it's, it's just puny compared to that. But it's, man, is it ever fast? Oh yeah. It hauls ass. Well, that's it. So yeah, I, there's two two interesting points that I have on, on this one. The first one being that, like any very high performance uh, piece of machinery, it it actually is very maintenance intensive because the ship is exposed to so much, so many stresses from the huge engines and the speed and the maneuvering and all that. Apparently, uh, you know, when it's not uh, when it's not flying around, it, it's basically being repaired. So even yeah. if you don't take any damage, the ship is just flying itself apart, basically. Yeah, that's exactly like uh, any kind of high performance sports car, really. Mm-hmm, you know, exactly. You're, you're not racing it; uh, you're you're fixing it. Shop, so, yeah. <laughs> and then I guess the the other the other notable point that I always think about the A wing is uh, the A wing is is the ship that is credited with uh, destroying the Super Star Destroyer Executor. Oh, because the suicide run. <laughs> yeah, the exactly. The <laughs> yes, the A wing, uh, and actually, I have that guy. That guy's name apparently is what Arvel Crinid. Oh, they yes. pulled out of some, and there's actually uh, an award, a medal was, that was named after him in the uh, Alliance military for, you know, conspicuous bravery and blah, 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 blah. For getting yeah, shot th- down and accidentally running into the bridge of the executor. Exactly. <laughs> right. Also, <laughs> they had help because he had, cause these, these ships have some shields to them so that, uh, you know, like if it would have been like a TIE interceptor, it wouldn't have done the damage because it doesn't have a shield. But this one has a bit of a shield, so it's uh, able to kind of push push in there a bit and and... And and cause that damage to that executor that that uh, probably that like say a, like a tie interceptor wouldn't have been able to do to one of the uh, one of the big Corellian or no, one of the Mon Calamari cruisers. No battle Oops, bridge sorry. on that executor. Yeah, it's like oh blew up the bridge. All right, whole thing's gone. There's, however, yeah, I know. Right? Sure, I'm, I'm like, sure we'll talk uh, about it in the Imperial show. But however many you know the tens of thousands of people probably died when that happened. Yeah, you know, I was like, huh. I've got the exhaust port wrong. We've got the bridge wrong. What is wrong with us? <laughs> <laughs> we keep screwing this up. <laughs> we need quality control. We are, we are more concerned with our outfits. <laughs> <laughs> we look very sharp doing it. Yeah, that's right. As we're dying a fiery death. <laughs> yeah. So what's our next one, Jeff? What's our next uh, ship? Yeah. Uh, we're going to go to one which isn't actually isn't a spaceship per se. It is a uh, more of an atmosphere ship here. And that is what they, they call it the T-47 airspeeder, but uh, we all know it as the uh, snowspeeder from, uh, from uh, Empire Strikes Back. Now that's nice. a cool ship. It was. And, and, and one, and one that... When I first saw it, you know, I was always it what was so interesting about the way that the snow speeders were portrayed in, in Empire Strikes Back is that you got that sense that they they weren't an actual ship that could fly off wherever it wants. You got the sense that it needed to maintain some sort of contact with the ground, obviously not actual physical contact, but it needs to it needed to stay above the ground because it would bounce over the ridges when it was when they yeah. were first searching for Han and Luke and the and the dead Tauntaun, you know, it, you could see them bouncing over these ridges and flying so low. And the only reason I figured they they did that is because it, these ships these weren't 
atmospheric ships. These were just these were just like Luke's land speeder, but a little bit more jazzed up that they could get a little higher, but not that much so. Right. Right. Like maybe you're looking at a couple hundred feet, but you're not, you know, doing intercontinental flights in yeah. these things. Right. Yeah. And and it took me, it, but as a kid watching it, I loved it, and I just it was a hard. I, I didn't. I was like, oh, I see. So these really aren't ships. These are actually more like like speeders, like you said. But at the time. All we knew they were called snow speeders, but I didn't make the connection between a land speeder or a snow speeder. And then I was like, "Oh, I see. They've they're claiming that this is kind of a, a retrofitted kind of ship." And AMT made an outstanding model of this that came out not too long after the film came out that I I love. This was one of the best kits ever that they made. Wow. Yeah, I actually had, I think I must have been like seven or eight years old. And I actually, I didn't have that model kit that you're talking about, Brian, but I had, a, it was more of a diorama. It was like a Battle of Hoth diorama yeah. that had like literally little ad-ats and whatever. And there were these little, little tiny snow speeders. And being that I was a kid and, you know, a model was just another toy, I would, I would play with this thing to no end. Like I had the little snow speeders in my hand. They were maybe an inch <laughs> and a half across and I'd fly them all around the house and go over the couch. Exactly like you're explaining. Like I'd stay right, right near yep. the the curve of the couch and all that stuff. And that yeah. was my Hoth, right? Yeah. This was this was by far and away the best Kenner toy vehicle at the time that they made. This one was, it, it fit two figures. You could put two action figures in it. And it was oversized relative to what we saw in the film, but you didn't, you didn't really know that with, when you had the toy in your hands. This was one of my absolute favorite Kenner vehicle toys, original issue, 1980, you know, 81, when these came out. This one, I love this one because it was, it was spot on. It was so well detailed. It was so well made. It was a great, great toy. Do you remember? Yeah, it was nice. And I think didn't as well, too, if I recall, you could shoot the little... Uh... Harpoon Har from the back. Yeah, there you go. No, actually, you couldn't. We, no, it, the harp. If you remember, Jeff, the harp. What happened? Oh, was you wrapped it, it around a little knob. It, yeah. it had a little string yeah. attached to it that you could pull it off and extend the string out. Oh, and it had yeah. it had lights and sounds so that if you push the button in the back, the cannons would fire, yeah, and they had little cutouts that would sh that would flash little lights in there, and yeah. uh, which is not which wasn't screen accurate, but it was fun. It was a fun, fun toy. I just remember yeah, on the, on screen seeing when they when they, when he shot the uh, the cable out and then and then tripped the the uh, walker, walker yeah. that was I just blown away that was so cool yeah it was just yeah. so unique you know it, was. it wasn't just like okay we're gonna shoot it a bunch of times and it'll blow up like right. it was something that you just don't you don't you never saw it they was like well they went after that vulnerability on on the walkers you know that i mean they were just they were such a huge destructive machine and then these it was like a david and goliath thing these little snow speeders with their with their cables could just trip them it's yeah, almost like literally a David it, and Goliath thing. Like they threw, you know, using a, a, a sling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then, of course, you know, it, it was just really cool. And it was also interesting to see that if they crashed, that doesn't mean you always died either. That was Luke's first crash. Yeah. He yeah. got, he got yeah. out and used his, the force. 
And actually, I always remember that because it was like, wait, Luke can't crash. Luke's the hero. <laughs> yeah. That, that yeah. doesn't make sense. I got scared. I remember, you know, one of the first few times I remember seeing Empire Strikes Back. It, didn't, it killed the guy in the in the other part of it, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, Empire yeah. just starts that off guy. on a down for Luke. Like, he he gets he, he gets whacked by the Wampa, and then yeah. he's like half dead, and then he crashes in a snowspeeder. It's just he's not having a good time on Hoth. Yeah, no. He nearly got stomped. He nearly got stomped by the AT-AT That's as right. Well, too. That's right. Because I remember I was quite stressed. I was going, you better get out of that ship. You better get out of the ship. And I actually saw the movie a few times. First few times I saw it, each time came to that scene. I said, "You better get, get out, out of that ship." ship yeah. <laughs> it, 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 the snow speeder actually allowed for one of the more really nice moments for the character of Luke in Empire Strikes Back when he hops into the snow speeder and Dak is in the back, and Dak makes the comment that I feel like I could take on the entire empire by myself. And Luke just and Mark Hamill, God bless him, got, not, he's not dead, but got, he, he looks, he sort of gives a sort of a look, and he goes. I know exactly what you mean. And it was just that kind of a a, smirk. And yeah, yeah, it was just one of those moments where you realize that as so when I'm watching this film in 1980, Luke was, you know, the young kid who blew up the Death Star with with a great shot. But, you know, now who is he? And there you in his character is so informed because it's all of a sudden like, oh, he's now the older guy with the experience (laughs) that has been through so much to get to this point. And Dak is his younger is sort of a, a reflection of him as a younger person, um, except Dak meets a rather unfortunate end, obviously. Right, and and that's kind of like the the subtleties that you don't that you don't get maybe newer films, you know, where they yeah. kind of beat you in face with with the, how people are feeling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it was just it's a great moment. It's a great it's a great little interchange that that is such a throwaway because it's happening when everyone's jumping into speeders and 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 Rick the, in in the case of Empire, yeah, they. They actually made a lot, a couple of these on set, and they would they use forklifts to lift them up as they were getting in them and everything. That's but cool. It's just a great little moment. It's a great little character moment that the snow speeder features very prominently. In. Yeah, very very nice. I'll uh, chime in here with a few technical details before okay. we kind of end off our uh, discussion on uh, on the, the the snow speeder. I guess uh, its length is four point five meters, modified to five point three meters, which is based off our discussion about the A wing. Um, you know, the A-Wing should probably be more in the size of, size of this um, as well. It's, um, it's got a maximum speed of 650 kilometers an hour. The modified version has got a uh, maximum speed of uh, 1,100 kilometers an hour, and attack speed is 570 kilometers an hour. A bit to uh, touch on Brian's point earlier, uh, maximum altitude for these is 175 meters. So, yeah. uh, let's say it, it can't go, like say, it is... It is tied to the ground to a certain point. Of, to a certain point, a um, couple other things actually. When I was reading a little bit about this, is um, actually the um, the history of this uh, of this ship was it was meant more for kind of um, it was kind of a cargo ship more so than it was meant to be a uh, a fighter or anything. It was is meant to actually kind of help with uh, loading and unloading uh, cargo from uh, larger ships and kind of the harpoon and and things like that was. Was there to kind of uh, to you know to grab kind of cargo and help move it around and things like that, which uh, felt it was kind of interesting, kind of the in-universe kind of history on this. That you know its original plan wasn't even really a, a fighter per se. And um, also, I was reading a little bit that um, Kenner was actually thinking because it's like Brian said, you know, the toy was quite a good toy. That they actually were thinking of actually releasing uh, one called the uh, a Sand Speeder, I believe. And they're actually it was going to be like kind of orange and red, but uh, 
it uh, never got approved, so it, it never got uh, released. That would have been one, cool. Yeah, one last, one last thing before we leave Stone Speeders in terms of their um, their initial design development based on the, the Ralph McQuarrie and Joe Johnson um, paintings is that initially the idea was that these were the heads of a Y-wing that were converted into a form of atmospheric vehicle. So if you look at some of the pre-production paintings and artwork for Return of the Jedi and you see what snow speeders look like, they basically look like a Y-wing head which had cannons on the side and engines on the back. It's yeah, really that actually makes a lot of sense there, Brian, because I did read a little bit that they did say the, uh, I'm not sure if, uh, if, if ever became uh, canon or not, but there was a thought that the, the head from the Y-wing could actually detach from the body. Right. Yep. And that, and and you can see some really beautiful artwork that um, I I don't know if it was McCory or John, I think it might have been Johnson, but that they did where you can see that look and it's really really cool. It's a it's a really neat look. But obviously for the film they decided to go with something a little bit more simple and a little bit more uh, un unique to to the film and not to go with that kind of look. But it was uh, it's just worth mentioning. And the next ship we're going to talk about here is the Tantive IV, which is the first ship that we saw. If you ever saw Star Wars, if Star Wars A New Hope was the first movie you saw, the Tantive IV was the first ship that you saw, as that was the one that uh, Princess Leia was uh, fleeing from the uh, the Empire Star Destroyer, right? The start of the movie. Ah, oh, this is the one they sucked up with their tractor beam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which would be physically impossible as the Tantive IV model itself was about five, four to five feet long and the actual <laughs> original Star Destroyer model used in A New Hope was only three feet long. It was tiny. <laughs> That's so kind of weird. It was, it, was, it was an amazing feat of TARDIS uh, phone booth kind of like magic that they stuck it in there. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the interesting thing too about the uh, Tantive IV was originally the, the models... Um, when they're working on the Millennium Falcon, um, actually, uh, when they're working on the Millennium Falcon, uh, they they were kind of uh, the design they were going. Uh, they decided to change that because it looked too much like the uh, Eagle from Space 1999, and then um, then they basically used the Tanta Four is, or they kind of changed the Tanta Four around and used that model as a Tanta Four instead of the Millennium Falcon. They went yeah, off you, elsewhere you, with the Falcon. Yeah, if you look at any early Macquarie drawings of the Millennium Falcon, especially in the docking bay, you will see what basically looks like the Tantia IV scaled down to a smaller size and with a Millennium Falcon cockpit attached to the front oh, with a glass window and everything. And that's really? actually in the new, the new show Rebels that's coming up uh, later next year. The Ghost, which I think it's called, the ship that, that they're flying has that cockpit on the front it's because that I think Rebels has a lot of Ralph McQuarrie callbacks in it in terms of design and look thinking because it's taking place before just before A New Hope and uh, yeah so the original Millennium Falcon though was going to be, basically be the Tanta Four design with the Millennium Falcon cockpit on front and uh, and I think Jeff's spot on that it was Space 1999 with their Eagle Sort of had a, it looked kind of similar, so I think they went with a different idea for the Falcon, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Very cool. What are some of the specs on it, Jeff? Uh, some of the specs here is it's 150 meters long. Uh, it's got a maximum acceleration of 2,000 Gs. Uh, maximum speed in atmosphere is 9,500 kilo 950 kilometers an hour, and uh, 
got hyperdrive rating of class two. Uh, it doesn't go to mega light speed because I guess it's not a fighter. So I guess they, like Joe was uh, indicating before with the uh, with the games, they this wasn't wasn't one you're going to battle going to battle with. I guess so. Uh, so right, and I think maybe later on in, in maybe the Tie Fighter games they defined it or something like that. It wasn't very fast. It was maybe like forty. Yeah. So some more information for, there, Joe. Uh, I, I, I mean, bad like, doors too, because they they could shoot the doors out really easy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and really you know big hallways. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not sure if we mentioned it already because we've been talking basically about the Tantive Four specifically, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Because I've been dropping yeah, in and out yeah, yeah. kind of the call. Uh, so, so the Tantive Four is actually uh, a, sp- a named ship. So it's actually it's a Corellian Corvette made by the Corellian Engineering Corporation. <laughs> and uh, so these ships are actually, they're kind of like the, uh, the Honda Civics of, of small capital ships in the, in the Star Wars universe. They're very, very ubiquitous. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's kind of why... You know the rebels would use these a lot. Like this, the the Tantive Four was the was the royal consular ship of Alderaan, so it was you know very nicely appointed and everything. Not that we really saw that in the movie, but uh, you know these ships could be used for cargo. They could be used for you know like uh, space liners, like in Galactica. So and, they were basically yeah. like the Ford Econoline vans. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and and they were modular, <laughs> so you could swap out you know in, interior sections of them very quickly. Right, and right. because they were so ubiquitous, the rebels used to, used to like using them for you know, ferrying sensitive cargo or ferrying important people such as Princess Leia or whatever, because it was hard for the Empire to kind of track down and say, well, this specific ship is a rebel ship because there's like 10,000 of them everywhere. Right. Speaking of, of ship confusion on this one, you know, I'm I'm well known on the on the board at Trex and Sci-Fi as being a defender of, of Lucas. I think creatively he's entitled to make the decisions he wants. But one decision he's made that really just makes makes my head turn is that he decided after Revenge of the Sith was released that the the ship that we see, the Corellian Corvette that we see flying around in episode uh, in episode three is not the Corellian Corvette that's in episode four, the the Tanty Four, but he renamed it the Sundered Heart. He, this whole they did this whole retcon when they they had an opportunity to show us the ship that Princess Leia eventually would get, but. No, maybe she doesn't. And it, it was just, it was the craziest thing. And it always bothered me that they felt compelled to do that. The ships looked look close enough. It, they could have very easily been the same thing. And I was never clear why he decided to do that. And it would have and been a, a cool uh, tag, tie together. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense. Like, why would the Royal House of Alderaan change their, you know, ship if they didn't have to? I mean, it's yeah, I just, I didn't, I I don't know. I don't, I don't get that at all. Well, I don't that, know that, that and that and when I know what happened when my parents got a new car. They would pass their car down to one of us kids, <laughs> so that would have been perfect. And I guess the, the the one other interesting thing, and I don't think this is actually canon, but again, referring back to X Wing, the the video game, uh, there is a mission in that in that game where you escort the Tantive Four, and uh, it's one of many Tantive ships. So the Tantive, there's the Tantive One, Two, Three, I think up to the Tantive Six or Eight, and they all kind of went off in their own directions. And the Tantive Four was the one that actually had the plans on it. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not canon, but uh, it, it's interesting nonetheless because I guess you wonder why it's called the Tantive Four as opposed to just the Tantive or the Tantive One. Very All interesting. Right. Okay, what's our next one? Our next one is we are going to talk about the Mon Calamari Star Cruisers. Ooh. These are the ones that we saw in Return of the Jedi because basically 
for big capital ships, you had the Empire with all their Star Destroyers, and uh, Rebels needed something to uh, to counteract that, and they had their Mon Calamari Star Cruisers, which were big kind of... Like, we were talking before about the... Um, about the uh, the uh, B-wing fighter and how it, it 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 looked different than the other rebellion ships. These these big uh, big cruisers, uh, they are very organic looking ships because they were they were designed by the Mon Calamari, which are a seafaring type and, race and very tasty with uh, uh, tartar sauce, <laughs> tartar sauce and yeah. uh, some deep fried and breaded. <laughs> ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I got I got to be honest. It's a trap. I got, I got nothing on these. I, I I I am completely ambivalent about the design. I appreciate the fact that they made it organic looking, and with the rec- the, the the backstory being made by the Mon Calamari, I guess it, it makes sense. But as a ship, bad. Not not my favorite. No, and and maybe I agree the, with you, and, Brian. And, it's, and maybe the reason memorable. for that. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe the reason for that is these were not designed to be warships. These are actually, so the Mon Calamari kind of came into the Rebel Alliance and they brought these ships with them, but these were cruise ships, basically. They're Starliners, and they were modified to become combat ships. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And and not only do they look unique and different, they are actually each unique and different from each other. Oh, interesting. Because so basically each ship is almost a work of art in and of itself. Now whether or not you find that appealing or not is a different story. But yeah, each Calamari cruiser is 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 different from every other one. That's great. That's a, that's a great observation and a great point to bring out, Joe. Because I mean, when you, when you look at like photographs of them or the, of the model, the model again it's it, it's 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 lumpy and yet the colorations and everything. Someone whoever made these models spent a tremendous amount of time and care to make them exactly. Whether or not that, whether or not that was an edict from Lucas, whether or not that was a, an intentional des- design decision, whoever made this model clearly spent a lot of time to make it so special and to make it unique. And and so definitely hats off to whoever whoever designed that. And Rick and Jeff, this is probably relevant to you guys, but it kind of reminded me of the Sequest. Well, it does a little <laughs> bit, but it's, it doesn't have a good enough figure. Right. It's not quite as slender as the yeah, Sequest. Yeah, I don't know. The yeah. Sequest is pretty sexy. But it does kind of look like a submarine. Like, it looks like a sh- it kind it of belongs underwater. Sure. Yeah, which makes yeah. sense because it comes from a... A water planet. Great water planet. I guess some of the things, too, like Joe was saying, how these were kind of retrofitted or whatever for a different purpose after is is some of their armament, um, the way they positioned it, they could fire forwards and backwards where the Star Destroyers, for the most part, could only fire... Uh, forward so so it gave them a little more flexibility on on um, defending themselves and they weren't armed as heavily as the um as as the imperials star destroyers but um they had more shield generators and um on theirs and they were able to uh, i guess if they went out they're able to bring them back online faster because they had they just had more more of them placed all over the ship so i think that's like when they took it into battle and then they you know kind of they would put some in, in you know, in front of uh, ships, you know, protect other ships and all that. The reasoning was because they kind of designed these things or retrofitted them to maybe take a bit more of a pounding, even though they, they couldn't really, uh, they couldn't throw much of a punch back. Uh, they, they could take a bit more of a beating and, and kind of help, uh, you know, help their plans of attacking the Death Star there. Right. Yeah, and they yeah, actually yeah. had to, oops, sorry, go ahead, Brian. No, no, Joe, go ahead. And, and so they actually had to modify their tactics a little bit so they couldn't just go in guns blazing because these were not, military ships the the hulls were not 
quite as strong structurally. So a lot of their weapons were actually, uh, the majority of the weapons were were mounted along the, the midline of the ship. So they had kind of had to do more of these slashing attacks, kind of going through other formations and stuff like that. And on top of that, again, because these were originally designed by the Calamari for use by the Mon Calamari, uh, well, all different races could crew the ship. The bridge crew on every Calamari cruiser was uniquely Mon Calamari because the controls were attuned to their visual spectrums. And their, flip, and their flipper fingers. And their flipper fingers, exactly. So when you look at the Battle of Endor and Return of the Jedi, you'll notice the whole bridge crew is Calamari. Wow. That's right. I yeah, learned it, something it, it, new. You know what? You, got, you, got, you guys are sort of turning me around on this because the more I look at the, at the model, the more I, I think about it stylistically and you know, even discounting the fact that it has this rich backstory now that we've, we've put together, you know, they went with a totally different look than the Imperial Star Destroyer so that in, in the scene, it would be so incredibly clear wh- who are the good guys. And the good guys look earthy. The good, look, the good guys look like, you know, a nice place to, like I said, Joe, a, 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 a cruise ship or someplace where you want to be, whereas a Star Destroyer looks like where you don't want to be. And right, it's right. It, it, that distinction is very strong visually as you watch the battle at the, uh, above Endor. I'm going to have to get the movies out and watch them again now. Uh, there's, and that's, there's so much going on here. <laughs> I know. Well, that's it. And that's the thing. It's like the Battle of Endor. There's so much going on. You see these cruisers like in flashes here and there, and then you see the bridge of Home One, Akbar's flagship, you know, every once in a while, but it's just, they're not featured very heavily. And I think that's unfortunate because these ships are so integral to the rebel fleet, but we just don't see the rebel fleet very much in any of the movies. Right. It is. And, and the bridge, the bridge set that, and the bridge set and the briefing room set that were made for return of the Jedi are really beautiful. I mean, you think, you know, what they remind me of to give a, a more contemporary sort of comparison. It reminds me of, of the cool crap that Tom Cruise had in oblivion. It right. was like all, oh, it's all yeah. very white. It's all very polished. It's all very formed and organic. It's just a great look, and we really we we don't get a chance to see it. I mean, because we probably it was probably filmed, but Lucas is so expedient about the way he edits a movie that you don't get to spend a lot of time necessarily with that. You get a little visual, imp, you know, impetus of like, oh, it looks cool, but then you're moving on to something else, mm-hmm. which and is I mean, interesting. Looking- which is interesting because you say that, Brian, because, you know, like, you know, because the Empire, they're pretty buttoned down and all that. But, uh, you know, for the most part, the Rebel Alliance was always just they're just dealing with, you know, dirty old ships and yeah. dirty old stations. And for these ones to come in so nice and clean and kind of a little different from the rest of the Rebel Alliance there. Yeah. And, and, and the, the fact that they're Mon Calamari cruisers or the fact that we at the time, I mean, in 1983, we didn't know squat about the Mon Calamari. I mean, there was no backstory to go with this. So, but we—if you assume that this culture builds these kinds of ships, it, it, it just—I'm using the word "informs" a lot tonight, but it, it informs how we think of that as of the Mon Calamari as an as an audience. We think of them as being this organic, being efficient, being beautiful, being like being kind of like the cloners that you know that that we saw in episode three or in episode two, rather, in Attack of the Clones, this is the same kind of aesthetic that they have. No, absolutely. It's, it's, it's great. You know, getting back to that, that briefing room, now knowing kind of thinking of the backstory of these ships, that briefing room was probably a movie theater. And now all of a sudden it's, it's being converted into this, you know, briefing room where, you know, the, the plans to, 
to stop the empire from basically destroying the rebel alliance as as we know it or takes place it's it's quite interesting to think you know yeah. if you look at it in today's terms like they're on a carnival cruise ship and they're yeah. they're in the in <laughs> in the theater you know making these plans right we're going to talk about the uh you know we're going to, we started off with the big one and we're going to end off with one which is just as equally as big and that is the Millennium Falcon. Oh, what a piece oh. of junk. Yes, what you, a piece of junk. You came here on that? <laughs> You're braver than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Would it help yeah. if I got out and pushed? <laughs> it might. <laughs> <laughs> scruffy. Who you call it? Scruffy looking. It's, it's yeah. like nothing is better than Han Solo walking to the cockpit, throwing the switches. The ship powers up and then starts powering down, yeah. and he smacks the smacks back it, of the wall, and, and it, it fires goes. back up. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> nothing, and nothing tells you more about his relationship with that ship. Like, well, except for maybe she'll hold together. Come on, baby, hold together. That's, That's a right. great moment, too. <laughs> it's just this love-hate relationship. More love than hate, but it's just when, when things go wrong and the Millennium Falcon, things really go wrong. Yeah. And talk. I mean, and you said it earlier, Joe. Talk about a ship that's a character. I mean, absolutely a character. <laughs> it is. It, it epitomizes Star Wars to me. I don't know why. It's a, well, it, when we, we throw the word iconic around, but I mean, it's certainly for such an ungainly, odd looking kind of design ship that I guess was initially based up on George Lucas told someone to design a, a ship that looks like a hamburger. It really, <laughs> well, that's really funny. It really, it's, it's, it's incredible how, and it's, and it's asymmetrical. It's everything I should not like about a ship. But you like it, don't you? I love it. And, and again, a ship, a ship that was, very difficult to find as a toy, except for when they came out, when Kenner came out with the Millennium Falcon playset toy. Again, it was so disproportionate; it didn't make any sense. You could, you, you, you it, it was all weird looking, and I didn't like that. And the AMT kit didn't come out till Empire Strikes Back. So during the time of Star Wars, the only Millennium Falcon you could get that was really cool for me was the Mattel diecast version, mm -hmm. and it was awesome, and I loved love that little toy and brian I, am i wrong or did you just post some pictures of a millennium falcon i did well uh our, our buddy chris clemente um down in florida he just was given for his birthday which was a couple weeks ago the snap kit um revel re-release kit of the millennium falcon which is uh, basically it's a kit that doesn't require glue although you, you you probably should glue it together and all of the parts come kind of pre-painted a little bit oh, wow. so yeah, so you you can and and I so I built one of those about oh, four years ago, five years ago, and weathered it and did my best. And Chris is in the process of making making a Millennium Falcon right now that's actually coming out great. He's spending a lot of time and with the detail work on all the panels and everything. And his kit's going to come out really really nice. Very I just cool. I just walked underneath a replica of the Millennium Falcon at the um, at the Star Wars store today. That's my is dog, the, by the is way. It the, is it the, uh, a Kenner, or what does he have hanging there? It's probably, I, I don't know, It's but it's six probably six or seven feet across. Oh, it's oh, one wow. of those, what, Toys R Us? Toys R Us, like it, Toys R Us had a display. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, it was pretty cool. I was looking at it going, oh, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's after I walked past the, uh, the life-size replica of Han and Carbonite. There's, a, there's so many cool things, and I'm sure, and Jeff can can sort of tell us a little bit more about it. But um, about the Millennium Falcon being a freighter, a YT series um, YT freighter, 1300, light, yeah, yeah, YT 1300. 
and how like the front mandibles were apparently something that could extend and drop down and pick up cargo and load it and it and you could sort of you, when you look at a front of the falcon you can sort of see like oh i could see how these things might extend yeah. drop down and then those two those two top parts would open up and yeah. cargo could be brought in and it's very very cool the kind of the kind of history that's sort of developed around this ship and it's like i said it's it's just become so iconic Right, yeah, I mean, we don't a, see it at all, but and but that's what Han Solo used it for I mean, most right, yeah. of the time. Yeah. yeah, and then he had uh, like say then they had all the uh, all the uh, secret compartments to uh, carry all the the, the, the less hidden cargo spice, yeah, yeah. I guess spice you would say, and uh, <laughs> I guess a couple uh, space, a couple space bud. Yeah, <laughs> a couple text specs about this thing is it's. Um, Length it's thirty four point three seven meters long. Uh, width is twenty five point six one meters. So it, like you say, it's got that kind of almost. Um, it's almost like a circle in a sense. Like Brian was saying before, it was it was kind of based off after they decided they weren't going to go with that eagle looking type Millennium Falcon. They went. They decided uh, Lucas had a half eaten hamburger and uh, and uh, olive on a stick, and that's how they kind of came up with the. The, the idea just, of it. That's just crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, that's how this stuff happens. I mean, that's <laughs> literally, that's how the creative process works with these people. I'll take the cheeseburger. Like, that's it's pretty magic, cool. baby. It's magic. <laughs> yeah. It's got, uh, it's a 75 um, megalites in speed and it's got a atmosphere uh, speed of uh, 1,050. So it's... Jeff, Jeff. I've made yeah. a few special modifications myself, so yeah. you may want to you may, you may fudge yeah, a little bit on those numbers. Right. <laughs> it's a few, you know, it's it's pretty fast. You know, I'm bragging about how many parsecs it can go, but uh, parsecs. In the, parsecs the Kessel Run, in the, the Kessel Run, Al Kessel. Oh, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> well, the whole idea is it's got a real top top right uh, nav computer. It's got a better nav computer than a lot of them. Um, a lot of ships, so it's it's able to when it works a, a better course. Well, I mean, if you think about it, if you remember, I guess back to when we were talking about the Y wing, this this can outrun a Y wing. Yeah, yeah. Y wings at seventy. This is seventy five. Okay, just just I've, for I've, a moment. I've, I've outrun I've outrun Carillion ships, not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember though, as a young person watching Star Wars for the first time and having the when Luke jumped into that the back turret thing and and grabbed that little uh, harness and he moved around with it and had the 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 eyepiece and the earpiece and and started shooting that oh my gosh i just about I, peed my pants i was I, like, I want to play that game oh no, yeah i was like no. oh Rick, my my reaction was the exact opposite my reaction was how the hell does luke climb down a ladder but then end up sitting <laughs> above in a, in a gravitational field that's clearly right left i i I could they, they retcon that. I know, but dude, it made me nuts because every time I saw, <laughs> I saw Han going up, Luke going down, and yet when they get to those turrets, they're sitting flat, but the turrets are facing up and down, north south, and the ship. I'm like, you That's can't so do funny. that. That's what so that? funny. I I never even noticed that. All I thought oh gosh, was it made me absolutely out of my mind. Oh, yeah, and, I was and it just like Joe though. People. I was yeah, just like Joe. I was like, oh my gosh, they got to make a video game. I want to be in this. <laughs> I want to. Well, yeah, they this. totally retcon that. So basically, when they get there, the the gravity field on the ship, the gravity plating or whatever it is they do to generate gravity, actually switches halfway down that 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 tunnel, that ladder. So when you get into the chair, you're sitting 
the way you should be. Joe, when you're nine years old, that does oh, not I know. fly. <laughs> oh, I, I agree. <laughs> Man, yeah. but it just goes to it just goes to show you like the the efforts they went to to yeah. just to make everything fit. That's yeah. amazing. And, you know, it, 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 you're absolutely right, and and, uh, and I should say that you know the model was made the way it was made with the, with the turrets, and then they clearly they clearly uh, they knew that they knew that in the in the set that they built where in the falcon set where the ladders went up and down to to go to the north and south turret that theoretically one person would have to lie on his back and one person would be lying forward falling out of it if the gravity of the ship was still in the middle right, but yeah. you're right it, it it makes perfect sense but oh my gosh it made me so crazy for so long <laughs> that's so funny right. i never and again, even how thought about referring it. to world war ii you know kind of aircraft yeah. those yeah. turrets are total like you know the waste turrets on on a big bomber or something right. like that right Yep. Well, it certainly is iconic. I mean, when when you think of T-shirts and I mean, I just bought a a, a T-shirt that had a bunch of different starships in outline. Um, oh my goodness! Be quiet, That's dog. All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> the I just bought a T-shirt that has uh, a starfield on it, and then an outlined a bunch of different famous sci-fi ships. And of course, the one they picked for Star Wars was the Millennium Falcon. He's right in the middle. And it's just the outside shape. And, you, of course, you immediately go, there you go, Star Wars. Yeah. And, and I think that it is the most iconic ship, more so than, than the X-Wing. For, for yeah. people who are not, you know, huge Star Wars fans, they will recognize, oh, that's – maybe they might get the name wrong. What's an aluminum falcon? But, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, they'll recognize that, oh, that's, that's Han Solo's ship from Star Wars. Yeah, and the ILM made a made a number of different sized scaled models of the Falcon. The largest being I I want to say almost five feet in diameter, and then the smallest being obviously the one that they stuck on the back of a large Star Destroyer bridge tower in order to to do the scene from Empire Strikes Back where Hans right. attached to it. But yeah, so and that was a couple, a couple inches across, but. Yeah, it's it, it, it and and that I think I don't the 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 large model is still in the Lucasfilm archives and doesn't tour, but the the three foot Falcon model is tour, tours around the country in that in a bunch of exhibits that they've done over the years. Yeah, I think actually I think I saw it in that uh, when that uh, rolled through uh, our city of last earlier in the year. The yeah, yeah, I believe the uh, what the, I can't remember the name of it. The uh, Star Wars Identities, I believe I I believe they had a. They had a, a Falcon model along yep. with a whole bunch of other models, which was yep. like total. Uh, like I walked into the room and there was just like a whole bunch of models, and it was just like, "Holy smokes!" I didn't want to leave. I was I there know, for like. I know. Well, when you were <laughs> at the Sci-Fi Museum in Seattle, you saw a few really cool models too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah there's some there's some great ones there. I mean, he, yeah. they, he has he has. There's I a mean, Death Star. That's Paul Allen's uh, yeah. contributions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Pretty darn cool. I know with Actually, the, when they the, had. The, do you know the original Death Star? I know. We'll, 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 we'll save it. We'll save it for the Empire. Star. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So I know what the original Death Star is. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I it's in that. my basement. <laughs> that's no, that's but it, right. It's in someone's. It is in someone's house. <laughs> that's funny. Literally. Wow. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I have to Very say good. though, like, say I, I I flipped through this just before I uh, last night. I have the uh, Haynes. Um, Oh, the manual? Haynes owner's workshop manual for the Millennium Falcon. And it's just like, uh, it's a if person's interested in ships. This would be a book to uh, pick up for sure because it's just, the whole book is just Millennium Falcon, nothing else, just the That's Millennium so Falcon. Cool. <laughs> and I mean, the Millennium Falcon through, through EU has gained such a huge, long, long history 
I mean, you know, the part that's really relevant to us is, you know, Han Solo won it from Lando Calrissian in a card game, basically. And, you know, the, the actual details of that as outlined in the EU get a little, a little interesting as well. But, uh, suffice it to say it's, it's, it's Han Solo's ship. That thing is like attached to him. It's, 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 it's great. It's it's his his home. I mean, I mean, and, and you get, you definitely within literally when it's first seen in Docking Bay 94, 94, right? And uh, New Hope, when it, when you first see it and Luke starts insulting it, you can see how defensive Han Solo gets and you could tell that there's a history here and a relationship here. And that's, again, a great moment in the original film that's carried throughout the series that this is, this is where he lives and this is the only place that he feels safe. This is the only place that Han Solo feels comfortable. This is the only place that he wants to be. And, it's, it's a, and, and, and that's what makes it so special to all of us because we love Han and we want Han to be where he belongs. And where he belongs is behind the, the, in the left-hand seat of the Millennium Falcon. That's it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that sums it all up there. Well, very, very cool. So this has been a fun discussion, you guys. Yep. It went awesome. so fast. I cannot believe it. We've already, this is a, the podcast will end up being about an hour and a half. And can you believe we already talked about all these? That's amazing. I could go on and on and on. Oh, we could. Yeah. I, we could do another hour and a half easily, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little worried when we get to those Empire ships. It might, those might take a while to talk about. Boy, too, they're so. pretty darn cool. I, I'll say yeah. that. Okay, yeah. so is that the next one we want to do? You guys uh, feel comfortable doing the, the Empire ships? Let's that makes makes logical sense if we want to throw some Star Trek into there. Good. Yeah. Then I think Let's do it. That, that is the plan. plan. Oh, voice <laughs> modulation out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. We're dealing with professionals here, Brian. That's <laughs> right. That's watch out. You never know. I have it now. Okay. Anyway, thanks everybody for joining us. We just had a super awesome time. If you'd like to get a hold of any of us personally, all you have to do is sign up for the Treks and Sci-Fi Forum. And Jen, look for us. I'm Warrior777. We've got Brian CD. Yep. We've got Jedi Jeff. Yep. And Billy Bob 476. That is correct. <laughs> I remember that. I it's which so I, which funny. I, I still need to hear a story about that, by the way. Yeah, what you, what's the deal? What is Billy Bob, Joe? I already know this, but go ahead. Billy Bob. Well, basically, go? it was just uh, in, 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 <laughs> if this is relevant to the podcast, I'll, I'll sure keep it, it short. Is. In my group yeah. of friends, sure it is. In my group of friends, when when in my group of friends, when we were uh, when we were younger, we were all sitting around. There were quite a few Joes around. There were at least three or four of us, and uh, we were all sitting around one day, and uh, for some reason, we were watching Armageddon. Okay. And uh, someone said Joe, and like four of us turned around, and the oldest Joe basically said, "Okay, this is stupid." So one of the other Joes already had a nickname. I didn't. So the older Joe said, "I'm the oldest one, so I get to keep the name Joe, and you are." And we looked at the TV, and Billy Bob Thornton was there. Oh, that's. He said, "You will be Billy Bob," and we're like, "Okay." And and I said, "Okay, this is stupid. This is going to last the evening, and it's lasted." I think that happened in like 1996. Oh my gosh! And it was. We're, we're we're doing a we're doing a podcast for our dear dear friend Rick Dosty, who yeah. goes by the name Rico, and he is the whitest, tallest dude yeah. to be called Rico on the planet. So, I know. so fine. It's fine. You want to be you want Joe, you want to be Billy Bob? That's not a problem. So you added four seven six because you needed a number? I need well, you know, the internet and whatever. And sure. four seven six is actually the year I believe at least at the time, I thought the 476 AD was the year of the fall of the Roman Empire. So I, th- I tacked that. <laughs> on there. You, you're such a nerd. You're a history nerd, too. 
Sure. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. <laughs> well, we know where Jedi Jeff came from, and we know Brian C. Well, CD. What's CD? It's just my name. It's Brian oh, Christopher Dunn. That's you're my name. so funny. That's hilarious. I never knew that. And mine I came. One original. I've been. Well, you're Jedi Dunn on Twitter. Yeah. Yes. No, I'm. Je- I'm. I'm Jet, and I'm Jedi Run on my license plate now. That's I just awesome. ordered a new license plate. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> And I, I'm Moyer777 just because I've always been that since I got my very first email address ba- way back when, when we got an internet service provider and I had a 2800 baud modem. Nice. You're lucky, lucky sevens. Yeah. Actually, my Jedi Jeff, I'll tell you how I got this because it is somewhat relevant, is uh, I picked the name Jedi Jeff because um, when I got uh, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, I believe, it yeah. had the multiplayer yeah. mode. We used yep. to play yep. with my friends and I needed a... I needed a name, and that's what I picked for my name for the X-Wing versus TIE Fighter game. Well, for the longest time, that's all I knew you as. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that is hilarious. That That's great, yeah. But the, my, my 777 came from the rock band Striper, nice. who, by better, the way, just put out a brand new uh, album. It's really good. Better than 666. That's right. Yes. See? There you go. <laughs> that wouldn't go too well with me, so there you go. Well, well great. <laughs> So much fun as always, guys. I really yeah. enjoyed this. I'm I'm so grateful that uh, Rico has allowed us to jump in here and have a little bit of fun on our own. And uh, I look forward to getting back together with you guys and talking about more about the Empire ships. And uh, Rico, thank you so much for letting us take the calm one more time. All right, everybody. Have a great day. And uh, we hope you enjoyed this great episode of Treks in Sci-Fi. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. For more information, visit treksinsci-fi.com or write to Rico Dosti today. treksf at gmail.com Treks in Sci-Fi is a Rico Dosti production. Copyright 2013. All rights reserved.